Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be De Beer. G'day and welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby podcast, the podcast getting you over the game line with everything to do with Australian rugby. It's Matt Rowley, your host tonight, and I've got facing up for another week, and, you know, I guess it's come rain, hail or shine here. Um, I've got Hugh Cavill. G'day, mate. How are you? <laughs> oh, I've been better, Matt. I've been better. But, uh, yeah, I've um, been thinking about rugby a lot today, so I've got plenty of thoughts, which uh, I think I can get out over the course of the next 40 minutes or so. Yeah, well, you did. You exercised yourself by actually writing again, um, which is a bit of a rare occasion for us these days. Yes. So you've fermented a few thoughts. Yeah, that's right. And I've, I've copped enough uh, flack from um, Welsh people on Twitter for the last 48 hours or so as well. So really, um, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of perspectives to take on board. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Good one, mate. And um, he's back two times in a row. It's Fitzy. How are you, mate? I'm good, boy How are you? <laughs> I see you've uh, welcomed our new overlords. Yeah, uh, welcome down your coal mining overlords. I mean, we've already got those, right? So no, no big deal. <laughs> No big deal. Hi, racist joke for all the Welsh people out there who are listening, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, look, we've got um, a a packed podcast tonight, or plenty of stuff to talk about, I should say, and we're going to have our normal five-question approach. Uh, First question is, what single word summarises that match, if there can only be one? Uh, Who was best on park is number two. Number three, which calls did the refs actually get wrong? Uh, we know. I know Nick in the booth is worried that that's going to turn into a complete rant, but um, I, I, that might be surprising, that one, I think. Number four, what selection lessons can we learn? And then number five, which was the better win, Uruguay or Japan? So uh, there's been plenty going on in this World Cup. Uh, they, they don't fail to deliver um, from that perspective. But um, let's focus in on the big one that mattered last night. And ask that simple question, what single word summarises that match? Hugh, you've been having lots of thoughts today. Can you put it into one word? Devastating. It's a devastating loss for so many reasons. I think, look, firstly, on the, on the just purely what it means for this tournament, where, where, you know, instead of facing what you would call about, you know, a pretty light run in in the later stages or about as light as you could hope for in a quarterfinal and a semifinal of a World Cup. Um, instead, we go onto the side of the draw that is is certainly going to feature the All Blacks and, you know, most likely feature England in the quarterfinals. And and I think you could put that up as being the worst possible um, quarterfinal and semifinal opponent. So, um, yeah, as I said in my article today on the blog, it's pretty binary in that sense where, where what, what the difference between victory and defeat in this game was going to be. Um, but in another way, it's devastating because, you know, in this game and in the Fiji game, I think we've shown for 15, 20 minutes at a time that we're good enough to win the World Cup. We've got the talent, um, you know, we've got certainly in the forward pack. I mean, that set piece was fantastic. Um, our forward, you know, uh, work around the park was amazing. Um, and the 20 minutes in the second half that we produced to basically get ourselves back in the game was was as good as any rugby you'll see. But um, 
you know, we just can't put it together. And I, you know, I think uh, I posited in my article today that a lot of that has to do with coaching, but uh, certainly execution by the players wasn't good enough. And, and we just had a few brain snaps at key moments, and that's the difference between victory and defeat. And, um, yeah, it's it's pretty devastating. Yeah, well, you're right, though. I mean, you, you've got to remind yourselves, I mean, you know, for years they were used to going to internationals and World Cups going, oh, well, either the scrum and or the line-out. Um, isn't going to be something that's working. They've both been beautiful, um, you know, against so far, you know, one of the, the better teams in the in the Northern Hemisphere around that space. So, I mean, yeah, to, to have that and yet um, to not be firing all cylinders is is, is a bit head-scratching. Um, Fitzy, can you put it into a word? Frustrating. I yeah. think frustrating probably for, in a similar vein to Hughes' devastation. Um uh, and it, on a couple of levels, I was actually not able to see most of the game live because I was out. Uh, my daughter was in a local stage production, so that was perfectly oh, timed to that uh, is certainly coincide with that. Yes, and uh, I was avoiding all forms of social media, and then the nice people at Google helpfully gave me an alert because I've been following rugby games going, oh, guess what the halftime score is? I'm like, yeah, assholes, thanks. <laughs> um, uh, but... But frustrating for those reasons as well. It is, as Hugh said, putting it together, looking at, at the way we came back in that game uh, and just just understanding that, you know, little things we were doing right uh, would continue for long passages and then something would go wrong, like that last turnover where you know, the Welsh guy's clearly off his feet. But whatever, you know, we didn't get there in numbers where the previous six rucks were all... All awesome. Like everything was clean. The the guys hitting the ball up and then two guys covering over the top and disposing of the Welsh guy trying to come in in the side. Like it, it was really good. But then just some little thing goes wrong. And, and I guess that kick of Tamu's, it didn't find touch. Great effort by the Welsh winger. I mean, you you got to give him props for that. But also, I, I'm frustrated by the decision-making taking that penalty, I think. I think that was the point where it's like no, nudging into the corner, absolutely smack these blokes with a maul and take the lead and then worry about kicking the penalty after that. And usually, you know, test match rugby, I'm the other way around. I'm like, give the forwards a break, knock it over and reset. We, there was plenty of time, but I just mm. thought, yeah, we, they're playing a good spoiling game. Don't don't turn down this opportunity inside the 22 and, and have a word to Port and just say, mate, how many penalties? Yeah, yeah, we we had we did have the wood on them, I think, in that succession mm. uh, just before that, and they started to rack up a few penalties. But I've got to say, at the time, I did think, oh no, that's fair enough. You know, this is World Cup Test match footy. You take those points, it puts you within, you Two know, points, uh, kick yeah, another penalty. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Know, Maybe a drop uh, goal. How about one of them? Yeah, no, we don't. Do, we, we're not allowed to do those. Um, right. Well, I'll give my word. My word comes from. Uh, I don't know if you guys came across it. It was an English comedy called The Thick of It um, with uh, Malcolm Tucker. And the word he coined there um, about a certain spectacular fuck-up was omni-shambles. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, like yeah. And so omni-shambles, I mean, from the perspective of, first of all, and most importantly, probably the Wallabies, um, you know, when the game starts the way it did, and they kick off to you, and you get turned over off the first contact. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not actually sure I've ever seen that before. 
um, then you kind of go, oh, we're in for something interesting here um, for, for, the, for the next 80 minutes. Um, I looked at the, I mean, I think it was something like 17 turnovers by the Wallabies to something like nine to the Welsh um, throughout the match. And I actually said to my mate sometime I needed to go get another beer. And I said, look, I'll just wait to, the, to our next knock on. And it was it was literally two phases later. It kind of nice. it kind of, it kind of felt like that. And then um, oh, and look, we're going to get into it. And then uh, there was the, then there was the refereeing, uh, which just came in, and that Ooh. was uh, definitely a, a shambles as well. So I mean, that, that's where I got um, to it. And oh, all of those things together, you can understand why anyone would give away the game. It was um, you know it was just it was tough to watch. Um, and, in, and in, a thing, lot, in a lot of ways. Yeah, but uh, the thing about it is, is, is you know, still going off what I said and what a few others have said, it's hard to get too angry at them because mm. we did, you know, it's a good Wales side and they played well. It was a good game. It was a good game. It was a good game. Yeah. And I think the, the, the margin between victory and defeat and what it means for the context of the tournament, but also just... Just, you know, it almost would have been easier if they just dusted us by 30 and we can go, oh, well, yeah. we're not good enough, you know? Yeah, now we're, now we're going to have that things. weird thing where we get a bonus point for that and then we're going to miss top spot by – they're going to draw with Fiji or something and we're going to miss top spot by a point yeah. or a count back or something. And and it just – I don't know, like, it, it, in a way, like, a, a few things this year, it's just kind of – turned out to I think that we might be good enough to win the World Cup like we we genuinely actually have a forward pack and some talent and we're all fit and firing and 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 you know it's it's kind of there um but it, in a sense it's also so oh. far away at the same time you know like it's it's it, it's the same thing over and over again where how how often have we come on here Matt you know uh, and said after a game, oh, geez, you know, we had that period of 20 minutes where we put it all together, but then it was those two 10-minute periods of madness and, you know, we ended up going down by a score or something similar. You know, it feels like it feels yeah, like that's just the, the hallmark like, check of Wallaby's performance. Like but, a Ferrari you own but is behind two inches of bulletproof glass. Yeah, I mean, do, you know it, do, do you know what it is, though? And you're completely right, Hugh. When I say omni-shambles, I probably made it sound like there was nothing good to watch there, and there was. I mean... There was probably I don't know forty to fifty minutes of scintillating, some scintillating wallaby play in there, interspersed with, you know, knock-ons and and stuff-ups. But although they weren't, you know, around the set piece, which like you say is fantastic, but it, it just it's back to that thing where you say you can't. I don't think you, your point on there's the, some of the raw capability to win a World Cup. I think is true. It's just not the finished product, which would then go on to actually win the World Cup. Um, you know, in, in, in every one yeah. of these matches, there's that extra bit at the last 10 minutes or the, you know, the the what you need to do to be when you kind of come up against the All Blacks. Um, you know, sort of like, you know, that 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 game plan that we'd had in that semi-final, um, you know, under Eddie again, you know, before we went on to play the Poms. Um, you know, it's that sort of thing that you need to have that's just not kind of there. But you know what it is? And the, the thing that seems to – it's this self-sabotage. It's like a, a mental self-sabotage that some people and some things have where they just can't help themselves and it just kind of goes wrong and they, they can't keep it all together for the whole time. And we can't do it for a match. I mean, we you know, for the first, for the first two matches so far – 
for it, whether it was the first half or the big chunks of the first half in the in the Wells game, we just just couldn't keep it together. And, and and when the pressure came on, we just melted. I mean, there was this when when Foley was on the field. I want to say it was about halfway through the first half. We'd managed to earn a scrum. It was it was on about just I think it was just within their halfway, or maybe it was just it was, it was around about the halfway line. The ball came out to Foley um, from the scrum, and he just hoofed it. It didn't go long. It wasn't going towards the sideline. It just felt straight into the the Welsh wingers. All he had to do was come up five metres and he caught it and they were on attack. And I was like, what is going on? Um, there was absolutely no thought. It was like panic. We don't know what to do with yeah. this. Um, and I don't know. That's That that for me, it was those those collapses um, from, from what was some great work. Because even early on in that first half, when we were going backwards at a rate of knots, you could we were still busting tackles and and making breaks. I mean, Karevi was looking fantastic um, from from the early days, which maybe takes us on to point two. Um, best on park, Fitzy. Who was who was who was that for you? Uh, I don't think anyone can dispute it's Dane Hale at Petty, can they? Oh uh, yeah, I can dispute it. No, well, just told you, call you Jess there, Astro. Um, I think, <laughs> I think it, when I look at Dane Hale Petty, I've always seen him as a very serviceable player. He's got all the gifts. He's naturally talented. He's a big unit. I think he he um, he, he seemed to shed guys at will. Uh, his kicking decisions were pretty good. He was well positioned, um, as much as I understand back three play. But he was well positioned. There didn't seem to be any glaring holes at the back. Um, and he he busted guys, he covered rucks and made a lot of ground. Um, and I think it, pretty much every time he made about the right decision, um, and I, I understand the forwards were, were doing their job really, really well, and I'm not taking away from that, but I think... I think DHP really stood up and, and you know, you're kind of going, oh, yeah, Israel who? Um, and, uh, you know, to that level, I thought he was the standout back that we had. And the forwards worked as a pack and they had a lot of good contributions. But I think um, overall, I'd give it to him. And I Ooh. don't give it to fullbacks very often. Well, mate, to, to back your point there, he actually topped the metres um, run from, from both sides. Um, yeah, I thought he had a really good game, con- considering we've seen him out of a shocker. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah and only a couple of games ago. I agree with you. He um, he had a great game. But Hugh, you're uh, you've got an alternate, mate. Who are you going for? Oh yeah, and of course I can't be backed up with such a stellar statistic as meters run, which is something as common as that. <laughs> just a completely <laughs> meaningless statistic. Um, no, <laughs> DHB was good. Um, I I don't dispute that. I thought um that you know people will look at the selection of Bernard Foley and and say the the panel really dropped the ball with that and and I don't think you can deny that but certainly the decision to bench Beal and put Dan Hallett Petty was just a, a, an out and out winner so um 50% strike right there um but the, look my man of the match has to come from the pack because I thought the pack was uh, really outstanding and and the guy that was at the center of most of it was Tolu Latu mm. um believe it or not um, you know, the guy who I think we're all worried about coming into this tournament in a position where, you know, we had not much, you know, we had a lot of uh, players there or thereabouts, but no one really putting their hand up. And he has absolutely made the spot his own. And, he, you know, his, his ball running is, is just outstanding. He's probably one of our most effective ball runners. He has eliminated that those disciplinary errors from his game, or at least for now. I'm still, you know, give me a few more games before I believe they're, they're truly gone. But 
you know, he, he gets over the ball at the ruck and pressures um, pretty well. And, and his line-out throwing's been, dare I say, pr- pretty flawless so far. So, mm. um, you know, I, I think he was he was a guy that was in, in the middle of most of the good things we were doing on on, um, on Sunday. So he, he gets my nod. I've got, you've got to say, they, they've returned him into a test player this, this World Cup, haven't they? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think he's gone from a bit of a super rugby thug and he's, you know, he's looking fit. He's ah, oh, he's doing everything right. I mean, it's a, an an incredible turnaround. I think you, you wouldn't you wouldn't have said at the start of the year, oh, that's a guy with a big engine, but no. he just keeps going. And and look, I agree with you, Hugh. It, very good. I, I guess I just had trouble watching him stand out when guys like Co and Al Latoa were just running the ball. The, all three of them, and I'm, I sort of talked last week about um, Nicerani not doing a lot of ball running, but he doesn't have to. Because our front row is absolutely devastating with the ball in hand. I'm shocked that I'm even saying that. But they do the job at scrum time and they run the ball. So I guess that's why DHP stood out because not many of the backs were really standing up there and the three front rowers were. Yeah, I mean, like Alatoa, I thought, you know, made some tremendously hard yards at, mm. at points, you know, where you just thought there was there was no way through and he seemed on his own. And, um, yeah, he... he did some fantastic running. All right, I will say, just before you go in there, Matt, because of Wales choke tackle tactics, mm. that is also slightly easier to do because they're looking to halt and hold you up rather than try and knock you back because they're seeking advantage there. But we played that well, I thought. We got there and, and cleaned out and mm. made the yards. Uh, yeah, although I thought yeah, I thought our second rows and... And Nizarani actually looked a little bit high at, at times, but I mean, you're, you're right, that was one of their tactics. Well, look, I'm, I'm going to take it back out to the backs, um, which, I, which, which I hate to do as well, but I, I've got to give the hat tip to Karevi. I thought he was an absolute wrecking ball throughout that match. I don't think Wales ever figured out how they were going to handle him. Um, I don't think we've quite figured out how best to play off him. I don't think he's particularly yeah. easy. I don't think he's particularly easy to play off, but, you know, whereas, say... When Falau was um, peak form and um, wasn't trying to send people to hell the whole time, um, yep. he, you know, both Foley and Beal figured out how to play off him, um, and he figured out how to play with them. And I don't think everyone's done that yet with Karevi. I think it's also because he doesn't quite know when he makes the most of that bust that he's made. But by God, he kept making him um, back to some useless stats, Hugh, as you'd call them. Um, you know, d- defeated more. Uh, de- Made or defeated more defenders or beat more defenders than anybody else um, on the pitch, and uh, you know he did it throughout the whole game. Um, was quite remarkable, even though uh, he he did create one of the biggest talking points in world rugby his, over the last his week. His elbows are now registered as a lethal <laughs> weapon. I, I will pull you up there. Go back to the useless statistics pile for a second and tell me how many handling errors he made. Oh, uh, three. I've got well, I've got three yep. turnovers conceded. That's true. Yes. So <laughs> a, a couple in contact. by your own petard, Mister Stats. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that—that's the reason. I was kind of sort of a controversial opinion time. I thought he had a very Karevi-like game, but more like a a, a 2018 Karevi-like. Yes, big unit, um, getting across the gain line, but. He made zero passes in the game. Made and zero passes? Zero. So, wet to deck pretty much every time. 
um, in contact, sure, five metres across the game line sometimes, and that was yeah. all good, but just the handling, and it, I, I thought he could have done better. Like, if he'd cleaned up a couple of those errors, um, because he, yeah, he, he made that charge into the 22, and then as he's trying to get the hands free or get to deck, ball's just gone, um, and he was that guy who got turned over by Williams at the end. Um, not his fault, but mm. like you say, it's it's hard. I've played with guys at park level like that, and it's kind of like, all right, I'm just going to run to where he's going to be because I'm not trying to follow the guy. He's just too many bodies in the way, and, and you, you don't know how far he's going to go. So if someone's on his shoulder, like, you know, the, the Falau, Beal, Foley combination that Waratah's had going there for a while, that's great. You know, it's mm. someone to take that ball, the little pop, there's nothing complicated about it. He's not chucking at 10 metres and just run on and score the try. Um, so that's the only reason I kind of didn't go with Karebi again. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, I agree. I, I, I did wonder if they've kind of managed to get into him a little bit which is it's okay to go to it's okay to go to ground you don't have to pop mm. every single time yep. but I but I would like it if he actually looked like he tried to link up with some support mm. the, he still looks like if he's actively trying to run away from it um, yep. most most of the time but considering we were up against apparently the northern hemisphere's best defense from last season um, he yeah. was kind of going through them like swiss cheese and that's a rare commodity these days Sure. Um, especially against a big and well and ha, what about that goose tap? Yeah, that was remarkable. Yep. Good point. Yeah, you know. Um, anyway, it's, it's not a competition, boys. But uh, so um, best on park. There's our three calls. Um, but let's talking about calls. Which ones did the refs actually get wrong? Now you, you talked about this a bit today, Hugh. Um, so which ones did they? Do you think they actually fluffed? Well. I don't know. Look, it's a it's a really sort of wide ranging discussion because it's sort of this game, you know, is is a part of a much wider context in terms of how world rugby of, of officiating and how what happened in the first week of the tournament as opposed to what's happening now. I actually don't think they got much wrong, um, and it's a might be a slightly controversial opinion, but um, I think the um, that Roman Point had actually a pretty good game. Um, he let the play flow pretty well. There weren't really any howlers at the ruck. He was consistent on both sides. The offside line was a, you know, was murky, but you know there was there was nothing egregious. Um, it was sewage. And, uh, it wasn't murky. It was sewage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that and that's you know like. But it was uh, both ways. It was it, it was both ways, and and um, you know the, the decision I think that I have the most problems with is obviously the, the Karevi, um, you know, like everyone else, the Karevi. Fend um, penalty, which, which to me, okay, so so there's there's a by the letter of the law, I think you could make the case that that it was a penalty, um, that that there was a there was an L a fend to the throat of the Welsh player, um, and that's deemed as dangerous play. And and I I referenced I I think back to the Ireland game in Sydney we played last year, and one of the Irish wingers I believe it might have been Jacob Stockdale I can't remember who yeah. it was but. They were sin bin for us for a fend on Nick Phipps, and it was a similar sort of thing. It was a well, guess who the TMO was? Benny Boy, yeah. Benny yeah. Skeen. It was uh, Skeen Machine. Um, but um, 
look, the thing that gets me about this is is most of the time when when the fens, you know, when those fens are penalised, they're they're extended. The arm is well extended from the body, and they're, they're sort of you know really going for the full stiff arm, the, the the full fen, and it's almost like an aggressive blow to the opposition from distance. But this was the first time I've ever seen this interpretation. Of the of the of the rule and and Karevi does that all the time. He runs with his um, non-carrying arm up on the ball almost, and he uses yeah. it as sort of like a just shove ball carriers off. And there's again, it's not directed at head or neck. It's generally not not particularly um, you know aggressive. It's more of a bump. And it's you know a, a tactic actually a lot of players use them, specifically a lot of Islander players. So you know to it's just classic world rugby. It's classic rugby referees that for, for all of the season and basically all of Karevi's career, we've never blown this rule. And yet on one of the biggest stages, if not the biggest stage that he's ever been on, um, a World Cup, critical World Cup pool game, a uh, delicate stage of the match, we ping him, we pull him up. And the TMO pulls him up and says, actually, no, that's against the rules. And yeah. and you know, I feel for Karevi because... What? Uh, no one's ever told him that's against the rules. He's done that plenty of times, and, oh, and no easy, one's easy, easy. We're meant to know everything about rugby according to the British press. Remember, everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Even the so, stuff that hasn't been invented yet. So <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you, so you've set a new standard now, World Rugby. Good on you. You know, if that's now illegal, and by the letter of the law, you can make a case that it is. Then okay, well let's go. Every tackle now, let's look at that because I guarantee you'll be pulling it up five to ten times a game because it happens all the time. Well, they've um, already started doing. It. I, I saw a clip from a the Fox Sport uh, panel thing where they've found a whole bunch because it happens time and time again, right? Where a player is half like their ball carrier is kind of half defending themselves from someone coming in from a mid to high tackle, and they'll almost always get an arm in the way, right? Because it's just yeah. self defence. Like Bowden Merritt's elbow to Colby, uh, what's his name, Colby's face, just yeah. like Colby. Yeah, yeah, that's a great photo, by the way. That is that, that's a cracker. But no, I mean, not even talking about something as obviously mm. prob- problematic as that, because you know, to your point, Hugh, with um, Karevi, I just it wasn't a fend. Or he wasn't actually leading with it. It was just like you say, he was actually holding the ball with those with those two arms. Um, the the you know he basically gets hit by the tackled player and then he pushes the player off. I don't you, I, you can't call it a strike. You can't even call it a fend. And the only way it's a you push. Can, yeah, exactly. And you can only manufacture that it is in some way that by looking at it in super slow mo. I mean, you know, it's literally, it's a manufactured penalty, a, a, manupa- a manufactured illegality. And I think that's what everybody is shaking their head about with this. Um, and it's, you know, it's abs- absolutely nuts. Um, what about, so we talked about a murky offside line. Um, either of you guys want to weigh in on, on Davis? Was, was I, he, was I he will offside weigh line? in. Yep. I will weigh in and say he was maybe borderline. I thought the guys standing closer to the ruck were actually further offside because they were ahead of the last feet of the last body on the Welsh side. Yeah. What I will say is, controversial opinion time, Genia took too many steps to get rid of that ball. Yeah. He came basically He basically came around the back feet of the Wallaby scrum from the blind side, took two steps. He probably moved about two to three metres and then launched the ball. And that's that's prime... 
they'd been doing that and, and Davies had another one later and they'd been rushing up and in a, in a umbrella defense all game and one guy shooting and chances are he's going to pick one of those off sooner or later for it to happen twice in the game shows that maybe Guinea didn't learn his lesson. And unfortunately it's something that, that comes in and out of his career and he, he gets this sideways steppy, steppy launch thing. And if it's not flat and hard, it's, it's loopy and and ripe for the picking. I would say play on. Uh, I, yeah. I'm disappointed they didn't just go back and look at it, yeah, like they do for pretty much everything else. But yeah, I I'll bite my tongue and say I can't find fault with it. Same as the Karevi incident, you can find a penalty with it. But yeah, I agree with you. Let's go and light up all the all the tackles now, and let's just put helmets and pads on and go from there. Just stop every thirty seconds and. Mm. And, and I mean, your 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 article is basically based around that here, wasn't it? Yeah, well, that's right. And, and uh, you know, my, the point I made was that one play, um, uh, Davies really highlighted the difference between the two sides and the tactics. You know, Davies, you know, there's two points to this. I think certainly Wales identified potentially our ability to play a very flat game, and Guinea is, you know, develop develop what you know we we refer to as the Gregan two step of that you know, holding the ball for a fraction of a second too long and certainly, you know, looked to develop a tactic um, around that, which was just genius. It was well executed. And, and, you know, once is a fluke, but twice is is a tactic and, and, and it worked perfectly for them. And then on Twitter, actually, a few a few people came back to me and said, well, that's actually his his MO, Davis. He's, um you know, he, he's known for that sort of a play, to which only – Further's my point of which, who why, why hadn't we identified that you know um, yeah. I, and I, I went back and listened to our interview with Michael Checker a uh, parts of it today actually because I remembered pre you know before the season he basically said well you know we asked him what are you doing with all this time obviously you know surely you're watching the Six Nations um, and he said no you know I'm not really a big believer in watching game tape um, uh, that's you know for my assistants to do and you know the further you get away from that, and after what happened on Sunday, you go, "Why weren't you watching the Wales game tape? Who yes. some, you know? Because it just seems to me to to be, you know, the way that Michael Checker works and the way his teams work is that you know we play this one game, this one style of game, and it either works or it doesn't. You know, and it doesn't matter who we come up against. If we execute our tactics, we'll win, and if we don't, we lose. And that might work in some club competitions." Certainly would work in a you know schoolboy or subbies, but you know in international rugby we're consistently shown up by teams that do their homework. You know, and Wales did their homework. They yeah. targeted this game. They knew what was at stake, and they had a couple of tactics that they they just implemented perfectly. Their you know their use of the drop goal, the use of the kick, the attacking kick to the corner that that um, isolated Corabidi, um, and and the the intercept. You know, no, this isn't groundbreaking stuff. It's not earth shattering stuff, but it's and a it's, a, it's only a few little things, isn't it? That's it's right. Isolate Corabidi, get into Guinea, and muddy up the ruck. Yeah. That's that's right, and 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 so you know they they targeted they knew this game was the big game you know and they targeted it and they and they executed their tactics and that was the difference between winning and losing you know yeah. there was wasn't much in between these two teams it was just those little things so you know it it's it's that it just sums up the Michael Checker era sadly is that is that we get beaten by teams that aren't necessarily better than us but they're smarter than us. Well, well, and, remember when that was us. Yeah, exactly. 
decked at the scrum and our line-out was great, but everything else was a bit meh, but we were smarter. We had the Greggans and the Larkhams and the Horns and the Littles and the everybody else who filled the back three, and and we were just smart enough to get away with this stuff in the forwards, and bang, the backs did the magic. Done. Now we've got the almost the reverse case. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 maddening. It's honestly maddening. And look, I've been as big a checker believer as as, as anyone, and a supporter of his. And, and you know, I, I've probably called for him to stay on, you know, longer than most. Even though I seem to recall, I think it was a podcast maybe late last year. We, uh, uh, you know, that we've we've been calling that there probably needs to be a change before the World Cup. But mm. for whatever reason, that hasn't happened. But I don't know. You look at it now and you go, look, I think we've had enough of this, you know, and the, the natural talent that brims from this team. And he can take a lot of credit the way he's turned around the scrum, the way he's got the best out of our line out, which was previously a weakness, the way, you know, that that pack and some of the talent coming through. He can take a lot of credit. The turnaround can of Tolu Latu. Can his assistance, you know? Well, you know, they're, they're all in together to a certain extent. Yeah. I, I'm I not agree. in camp. I, I don't, I don't know. Who's, yeah. You know, I, I don't know who's who's. You know the, the the ones cracking the whip behind the scenes, but you know the, unfortunately, you know all of his all of his talents, of which there are a great many talents, that these little things let him down, and 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 once again we've seen we've been he was out coached by Gatlin. You know I think Wales, and I got flack on Twitter for saying this, but I, I generally think that Wales play greater to the sum of their greater than the sum of their parts, and we play less. We're less than the sum of our parts, mm. and. And I think that's a, you know, that that's that's a that's a matter for coaching. And and yep, look, Bernard Foley had a shocker, um, and plenty of people have pointed that out. But you know, the 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 game went well beyond that. You know, there was so much more at play there. And and unfortunately, when we needed to get it done, you know, we we just left ourselves too much to do. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was sad. Yeah, I, I just thought there was a few interesting rucks. Um, offside line muddy, great, consistent both ways. I thought Wales's tactic to get into the ruck any way they could was really interesting, and there was a couple where the legs started to swing around, and as Genia was picking up the ball and about the oh, around the three-quarter mark of the game, there was a uh, the Wainwright, I think, their blind side. He's come into the ruck. Someone's held his top, like his shoulders, in there, and he's just swung a leg around and almost kicked Genia in the head. Mm. You know, that that was the level to which they were going at. And I thought, um, I've made this point before, you know, Owen's, Owen sets that line. And I'm wondering if, if you had a Southern Hemisphere ref, how much different the ruck would be because it was a hell of a mess in there. And it was really well contested. Like, that's the kind of mess it was. It wasn't just guys flopping or anything. It was guys going hard at the ball. Um, but I just thought there was a bit of stuff from the side that, the French refs tend to let go, you know, they're, they're just Gallic shrug um, the whole time when it comes to the breakdown. It's just win your ball, and then all of a sudden he'd get really strict on it. So there was a couple of rucks where the Welsh guys got in on top of the ball, and I thought, oh, crap, we're turned over there. And then he tells them to leave it. And then 10 minutes later, exactly the same situation. Yeah. They were well, a penalty. I, well, I think what's been really clear in this World Cup is that they've decided that they're going to give – um, you know, far more benefit to the attacking team. Mm. So, you know, and 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 at all costs, let the let the um, game roll on. So what they won't do is like the, how many, the number of players you see get in there, get their hands on the ball, um, and they're not going to ping for, you know, holding on. 
Um, but well, either way, right? So they're going to say, let go, let go, let go. And even though it's slowed the ball down, it keeps moving. Yes. So you don't get fast enough ball, which you'd all like, and you'd like a few penalties. Well, I think we would definitely, we'd like a few penalties to get that thing moving faster, but you're not going to get that, but then you're not going to get those penalties, which stop the flow of the game, which yeah. for the uninitiated, obviously, is one of the more frustrating things. So I think by help, and and then the other thing they're not going to do is actually enforce a gate, because again, that's something that if you don't really know what you're watching, you know, so you've now got those side-on cleanouts, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious that there were some Irish people, um, you know, on social media complaining about people clearing out through the side. <laughs> you, you guys freaking invented it. I mean, oh my god, um, last time you were down here, so that they've just basically let that go. There's no longer any gate, and then they're not really patrolling an offside line either. Too oh, much. Oh, scrum feed. Remember when scrum feed was a thing, and oh. knock knockdowns were yellow cards, and yeah. Which, which, is, which is what makes the whole scheme thing even, even more nuts. I'll tell you two other decisions that I thought were interesting that, um, that they might have – well, oh, that, that Hooper late hit, I was yeah. – I, I thought that was going to be yellow. Um, not that I wanted it to be. I thought Hooper was – he was kind of just standing his ground, but he no arms and a dip and a shoulder, and he, he dropped the shoulder. Um, if anything, he could have, you know – yeah. Just wrapped the guy and yeah, or just milked a hit if he really wanted to, and yeah. instead he dropped that. And I thought, oh, I couldn't. I was actually surprised he got away with that. So that was probably lucky for us. Um, the other one was forward late in the game. There was a um, who it was between Beal and somebody Beale else. Salakola too. The the forward pass right out was, on the wing. Yeah, which was clearly not a forward pass. That was ridiculous. Yeah, touchy um, call, I think. I, I don't know. And the touch was right in line at it. So how he even got that wrong, um, I don't know. But look, at the, at the end of the day, I agree with you guys, I think, about Poit, which he seemed embarrassed by Skeen. I think in, in those two interactions that he had with Skeen, I think he was he was like, mate, can we just play this on? And, and I think it's the lack of vowels because Skeen's <laughs> a Kiwi and, you know. <laughs> oh, the, the lack of sense. Oh, anyway. Well, that, yeah. And okay, I think I think we've wrapped that up. Not too much of a rant there about the refs, but um, I tell you what, and the inconsistencies is driving everyone Look, crazy. And, and here's the thing: Let, let's talk about the wider tournament and the game itself. It's it's the inconsistency of the application of the laws on the field in a game and across games. And uh, you know, anyone who knows rugby will have done this to death. But my big issue is, and this will be ranty, but okay, so we've got Hodge. Not getting pinged, reviewed by the TMO, nothing wrong, move on. Three weeks. We've got American guy, yeah, okay, duh, guilty as hell. Like, yeah, clumsy Owen Farrell was falling over, whatever, and who doesn't love to see him get smashed? But um, it was a shoulder, 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 all day long. It's hit the head, red card, three weeks. Mm. Okay. Two Samoan guys, Lilo and uh, Matu. Uh, Came in like a gagging for the the high shot to try and dominate the bloke. Never lowered their height. Oh, but it is dipping, so yellow card. I'm like, all right, okay. Both get three weeks. Piers Francis takes a guy high. Uh, no sanction, not even a review. Goes to the judiciary. Oh, probably a yellow card. The guy was dipping in, and he tried not to take him out. He took the blow on his own head, and not. Nothing. So mm. 
you know, slide that scale up and down as much as you want and none of it even approaches consistency because there's a couple of things is across games, referees play it differently because it's 30 different blokes every time, 31 including the ref, and then they don't set precedence in judiciary cases. They have their entry levels, um, the, like their, their grading levels for an offence. They decide on those and then they apply the, the wheel of fortune and the good behaviour and the why why is this happening like this? That's the mm-hmm. big that's the big takeaways. And because it's compressed into you know forty odd games in a six week space, it gets madder and madder. And then suddenly we've got a controversial incident that is deciding a game, or they start to pull back from it, and then we've got a controversial incident that isn't even penalised that decides a game. Mm. It's it's gonna end in tears. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like I can understand though a ref in real time on a field, getting you know in pressure, trying to watch how many things are going on at what pace, big bodies in the way, da 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 da. You know you're gonna make mistakes. Um, what I I what I what I think everybody finds more unfathomable is be a TMO who gets to watch that replay over and over and over again, slowed down sideways every which way. And yet every other match, we still watch mistakes happen, but even more so see are these judiciaries, how are they still so inconsistent, Mm. just completely depending which South African or Kiwi that wants to come and um, plant one on Aussie. It's, it's unbelievable. It, it, and it's been going on for years and years and years. Anyway, nuts. Right, let's move on. Uh, selection lessons. So I don't know. I felt there was some big. I felt there were actually some big lessons in this in this match as far as um, you know players going forward, especially when it gets to the you know assuming we get to um, a pointier end. Uh, Hugh, what, what were your big takeouts? Or well, give me a big takeout on this one. Well, look, I'll, I'll go the obvious one first of <laughs> yeah. all. Uh, I mean, I'll take the obvious on. one, which is, which is, we've got no idea how five eight is. Well, I think we probably do now that it might be Matt Tamua. Um, and a week ago, you might have said Christian Lealafano, and a few weeks before that, you might have said Bernard Foley. Um, spin the wheel. Could be Lucan Salakaloto by the end of it. Um, and I think Tamua's been blessed by game circumstances. I certainly think he was far, far better than Bernard Foley. And, and Nick gave him our man of the match, Nick Hartman, on 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 the website, which I think was probably a little bit strong, um, based off of you know a good half hour against a pretty tired Welsh defence. But, but you minutes, can't, in fact. yeah. Well, you you can't deny he looked he looked a lot better than Bernard Foley, and and he deserves to probably get the start going forward, even though. We've tried Matt Tamura at 10 a lot, you know, and every time he just never seems to quite get it. But maybe this is the time. Maybe now's the time. I don't know. I still, yeah, it's it's probably, it's 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 a big hole through the entire tournament is who the hell is playing 10. I think we probably ruled out that it's it's not Bernard Foley. He's, his confidence is shot to pieces. I mean, that kick, that place kick, um, conversion i think it was yeah you know, which is just a, five meters out from the posts yeah. oh god and he was just a, a an out and out shank he barely got the tee you know he almost uh, i mean what's going on there is is uh, god knows but um he's he's and, shot so and yeah, don't, he, don't forget the customary intercept he threw <laughs> customary intercept you know yeah and, and three uh, other couple of, mistakes yeah and yeah. the kicks man look it's it's it was a it was a mess all round now the question is do you i think you probably put Tamura in 
for our next game, which I believe is Georgia, Uruguay, Uruguay, Uruguay. coming up. So I don't know. I, maybe it's an opportunity to get him some reps in the ten shirt, um, and um, you know, see if he can get some confidence. Or you put Christian Lilifano in. Same thing. You know, I think whoever's going to be our ten in the late in the quarterfinal probably needs to start this next game just to get some get some confidence under the under the belt. You know, get get a few tries. Um, and then you know, from there, I, I really, yeah, then you bring the squaddies in and and maybe give someone like Jordan Pataira a run and see what he's got. Yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing on that one. I, you know, you're talking about the either or. I think um, in these big matches, you, you're going to end up. I think they're going to end up playing two tens anyway, right? I think they like kind of swapping one out. Uh, and I can see. I thought Tamua came on and made massive impact. You know, if you give him thirty um, odd minutes in the second half of a match, um, you know, he's got that strong direct running style. Um, once somebody's against soaked, a tiring defense, yeah. exactly. Once someone else has soaked up a hell of a lot of uh, pounding, which, <laughs> which Lelo did, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. got some good practice at it. Um, and yet, I think, largely speaking, can kind of keep his stuff together. Um, I don't know. I, that, that's my sense as far as the two that you'd take in there. I don't know if I'd quite yet say, oh, I'm going to try and give um, uh, Tamua um, 80 minutes, and I'm not sure you have to. Um, and, and both of them are quite versatile, um, you know, in terms of they can both play 10 or 12. So, you know, you, you can you can move them around a bit. Um, Agree with that. And uh, I think we've kind of seen, you know, except for Perth, daytime rugby, um, I think you've got a, a problem where our starting guys since then have looked like a bucket of shit, really, by mm. comparison. And then the the guys who come on, we're like, oh yeah, oh, White was crap against Fiji, so we're going to start Guinea, or Guinea was crap against Wales, so we're going to start White again. And it's it's, I think the the like you say, they're soaking up heaps of pressure, and then there's the guys finishing off looking really good. White made that tremendous break that put DHP down the wing, and and then he kicked it out the knob. But um. The, uh, the the starting combo has got to be settled going into the, the quarters. So I think we might see a bit of 40 minutes each um, in the, the Uruguay game and then probably close to the full team will run out against Georgia because it'll be the last hit out before the quarters. Um, uh, in terms of selection, I'm, I'm going to say I want the pooper to end. Mm-hmm. I think I think we don't need the big ball running eight. We've already discussed that. You know, the, the tight five's getting through a mountain of work with the ball in hand, and that's all good. But I just think we're not – like you said, Matt, the, the refs are favouring the attacking team, and I think I counted maybe one turnover for Pocock so far this tournament in mm-hmm. 160 minutes of rugby, um, and maybe one for Hooper. So I'm thinking now at this point, you can't just keep shoehorning your best guys in because they're the best guys. You've got to kind of get a bit more balance in that back row. And and Selakai Loto is that guy for me. He's the number six who's adding to the ball running, but will also cover up rucks. And, and through that second row with him and Arnold and and Coleman or, or um, you know, uh, Rodder or whoever's there, those guys can cover rucks with Hooper and then you've got a bit more balance there. So, yeah, halves are always going to be swap in, swap out, but I think the Pooper's probably 
probably finished. And does that mean then like you're starting Hooper and so that you're basically not going to see, that's pretty much the end of Pocock unless, because I mean, you know, they, they don't like, um, you know. Specialist Ho- sevens on the, yeah. Well, and Hooper, they don't like replacing Hooper. Exactly. Hooper plays 80 minutes. So unless he gets injured for some reason, I think then in, in, in what you're painting there, that's the end of David Pocock. Yeah, look, it, it probably is. And maybe it's a case of give Hooper a rest for um, for Uruguay, uh, give Pocock the, the captain's armband and let him run around at seven um, and thrash one of the lowest ranked teams in the in the comp. Or maybe not. Who knows? Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think, I think we have to kind of have a relaxed week and then go ahead and at Georgia at full tilt to build in for that quarter um, because let's say things work out the way everyone pretty much thinks we're going to have England and they're going to have built um, their pack out of concrete um, having fed on Argentina and France. Yeah. Righto. Um, so, so left on the selection decisions then probably the only other one that happened. And I think Hugh, you touched on this earlier on was uh Haylett Petty at fullback, instead of Beal starting, what, what, what do we think about that? Is that something we'd, we'd like to see again? Yeah, definitely. I, I, and I think Beal does well in that in that bench role too. I think him coming on with, with – I mean, he didn't get many chances um, in the Wales game. I don't remember him doing a whole lot wrong. Um, but um, by that forward pass uh, slash flat pass aside, but yeah, I, I think Dan Hallett-Petty at very least – yeah, you know, the the other thing you can consider is dropping um, Grandpa Ashley Cooper on the wing and uh, moving either Beal onto the wing um, in in support or or moving Haylett Petty to the wing mm-hmm. um, because I mean Adam Ashley Cooper as as predicted um, you know just is solid he's very solid he doesn't let the side down he has a good game sense he, he's there where you need him to be there he made the most of all his opportunities. Um, he, I think he missed one tackle, but he made a few other good ones. Mm. Um, you know, did the job. But um, you know, I think maybe going forward, do you do you have Beal there against? You know, but but if we're looking at against England, whose box kicking tactics is the same as the Welsh, then I think you're probably sticking with that back three with Reese Hodge um, back in if he's fit, mm, um, that, slash not suspended. Yeah, and definitely with his kick to touch. Just talking of Haylett Petty, and you mentioned there um Fitzy about that little kick um towards the end of the match that was like using your outside foot on the touchline to yeah. try and chip kick at pace when you were 50 meters out that is probably the last choice you should have made wasn't uh, it I, I think maybe the dummy kick you know where you kind of kind <laughs> of let go of the ball and grab it again and then swerve inside and go hard and wait for the support yeah, that's what i would probably done. the better option here look yeah. as a prop that's what i'd do Swerve inside, you know, step on the gas under the sticks. And drop goal. And, like, well, or you just, well, you know, the second option is just to, you know, straight grubber Smash as far down, oh, yeah, yeah. As, far down the, as far down as you can into the corner. I think uh, their open winger was covering, so maybe, yeah, anyway. But, um, that, but that ship kick was the last one you did. Um, that ship all right. Indeed. All right. So we've covered off those um, selections lessons. Um, I mean, the good news is I think there's quite a lot of solidity coming in, especially around the pack, um, uh, which is which is good to see. Final one, and this is probably the big question: which was the bit of, bigger win, or better win, I should say, uh, Uruguay uh, 
over oh, i'm trying to remember who they who they fiji. beat now fiji of course um or was it japan over ireland now it's an interesting one this one um what i like about both those upsets right mm. is the similarity between the little bloke doing their thing it was for uruguay it was just chop tackles all day i don't mm. like you could probably count the, the number of tackles i missed on two hands um, but it didn't matter who was running at them or, or they'd let them go to the side and then calm down or they'd just hit them lower around the hips from the front. And that was probably the amazing thing. You know, a couple of their tries were, were you know, a little bit tinny, but they took their opportunities and then they just tackled themselves to a standstill. They were getting done in the scrum. Their line out was a bit bit wobbly at times, but wow. I, I've got to balance that with the fact that Japan beat Ireland <laughs> and it just <laughs> it, it's just amusing to me because I think they made a massive mistake by resting Sexton they should have given him 40 minutes to settle it in and then taken him off um, Japan just kept coming and what was really interesting is the back plays they were putting on is something that Ireland just weren't dealing with and it mm. was conditions partly but it was also because quite frankly in the Six Nations that I saw um, there just isn't a lot of, of enterprising backline play. There's a whole bunch of caterpillars and box kicks and make no mistakes. And the problem with that is when the opposition aren't making any mistakes, you leave the game on a knife's edge. Um, so I am going to sit right on the fence for that one. <laughs> Hugh, can, can you help us? Can, have, you, have you got a view? Oh, yeah. The Japan victory was, was, was clearly the superior one. Just for, you know... What it means for the tournament more broadly, you know, having that that home support and having that home team lift and 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 you know, um, you might remember Matt on the pre-tournament podcast, I picked Japan as being the you know the uh, the roughy that could could surprise. No, um, I can't remember that. No. Oh well, look, um, plenty of people, you know, going back to the archives and and um, you know, <laughs> I'm is, sure this is just your natural Irish stance. Pretty much, isn't it? This is anti-Rigrose. It's the anti-Irish. Yeah. Look, I mean, I will give it to Ireland. They've melted down three games earlier than normal. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, it's it's it, in the end, it actually doesn't probably won't affect them in the you know, in the grand scheme of the tournament. I mean, it's never good to lose to Japan. It's not a it's not a sign that they're you know. I think going into the tournament, you'd have them. You know their aspirations were to lift the trophy. Now after a loss to Japan, regardless of they still might top their pool, but whoever faces them in the quarterfinals is going to be licking their lips. Um, likely South Africa. Um, you know I think they're going to get through. But yeah, that just and it was a it was a dominating performance by Japan. It was it was by no means a lucky win. That last 15 minutes they were finishing all over Ireland, and they probably could have extended their lead had they been given the chance. Um, so. I mean, to me, that was that was a, a, a an amazing performance, and and look, Fiji Uruguay was was nice. The Fijians a bit stitched up coming off um, on the short window there. I think it was only a, a four Disagree. day turnaround. Disagree. Um, Twelve replacements. Sorry, they they're ranked ten above Uruguay. And we know how much it drops off after the top 10 or 12. Oh, yeah, that's true. Look, it was still a fantastic victory by the Uruguayans, but more for, for the context of the tournament and, and, and what it means potentially for that Pool A, which mm. now becomes a, a fantastic little three-way stash between Japan, Scotland, and... Um, Scotland and, have just uh, thrashed Samoa. Oh, 
Yeah, which they need to do to get those that and those. But it's all going to come down to bonus points now. And I think the key game is going to be obviously Japan Scotland. And if if um if Japan gets up in that one, wow, um they all of a sudden start to go through at the top of the table. Can you believe? But if they lose that, then I, I'd suspect they might just miss out on the quarters. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Look, I, I agree it's hard to split those two. But here's the thing. I mean, Uruguay, there are 6,000 people who play rugby in Uruguay. And, I mean, and that's not even guys who could play pro rugby. That's yeah, full stop. registered players. <laughs> yes, that is registered players. And they went out and, like you know, like you said, those four days earlier, okay, it was a slightly different Fijian team, but that, they're an imposing team. I mean, you know – you know, is in, t- in terms of size, in terms of physicality, in terms of capability, and um, what looked like a pub team from Uruguay went out there and absolutely played their rings out. Um, whereas, you know, the whole Japanese teams pro, and you got you know the Sunwolves now, or they you know played elsewhere and and come on in. So, I just I was just taken aback by that Uruguay, the grittiness of that Uruguay team. And to your point, um, it was you know Fitzy, it was just a mixture of just bloody guts with the chop tackles. And the one other thing they used was the rip and the strip because mm. um, they, they'd obviously spotted the loose carries from the Fijians and knew that by doing that they disrupted them and the Fijians just never felt comfortable. Um, yeah, they, they looked to, to, to try and offload their way out of pr- trouble instead of just, sorry, you're, you're naturally bigger and fitter than them, just mm-hmm. run at them hard until they give up. And mm-hmm. then, you know, set a few phases and away you go. And Matavesi at 10 was was awful. Like, mm-hmm. he just never got that team going. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it, look, it's harsh to say, but Fiji deserved what they got that game. No, they did. No, so, look, I I see his point in terms of the context of the competition, the Japan winning was bigger, but I don't know. I just I love a, a plucky underdog, and Uruguay was great to see. Righto, boys, look, we're, we're approaching the hour of people listening to us crap on. Um I think I think that's probably about us done, isn't it? Um, so look, we've got coming up. It's Uruguay. Is it? It's on Saturday, I think, isn't it? Saturday, Avo. Uh, yeah, let me. Yeah, Uruguay is quarter past three on Saturday, Avo Sydney time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be in Tasmania, trying to oh. find somewhere that shows the rugby. Well, Jeez. good luck. I'm sure you'll Thanks find somewhere, mate. Yeah. Um, well, at least it was on, it's on free-to-air, isn't it, as well? So you should be able to should get Should be. On. Yeah, should be. Um, and I don't know, what, what, Hugh, what's the next big match you're looking forward to? Well, what have we got coming up this week, actually? It's, it's, um... We've got Francia USA. There's nothing on tomorrow night. Devastated. Um, but we've got Francia USA and New Zealand Canada, I think it is, on Wednesday. Georgia Fiji Wednesday. on Thursday will be a really Yeah, that'll be a good game. South Africa, Italy will be be interesting to watch. I mean, the Italians have been pretty decent thus far. They're they're not a very good team, but uh, I expect South Africa will 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 put some points on them. But just how many will, will be interesting. And then the biggest game coming up is the game after Australia, Uruguay, yeah, um, England, Saturday, Argentina, England, mm. Argentina, and then into Japan, Samoa, which is another big game too. Um, that Saturday is an absolute feast of rugby. England, Argentina is going to be amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot riding on that. Mainly, um, uh, yeah, for uh, for both sides, plenty to play for. Uh, indeed. All right, boys. Thanks for coming on tonight. Um, good to talk to you. And um, and thanks everybody for tuning in. And thanks for letting us come in your ears. And we'll see you next time. Heels off the top. Larkham. 
Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a De Beer.